Paz IM Radio with your co-hosts Robert Brining and Aaron Laxton. We go around the world and across the United States. Join in the conversation by calling in to 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. This week, we have your HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause IM Radio. I hope you're ready for season two because it starts now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this Sunday, January 29th edition of Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, and of course, my one and only co-host, Aaron Laxton, is joining me. How you doing, Aaron? Aaron, I called you Laren. How you doing, Aaron? Laren. Laren. I'm good. It's hard to believe that it's the end of January already. Um, so it's, uh, I am well, though. I am well. So I heard you are uh, uh, moving. How's that going? Yes, congratulations. Thanks. My life is packed up in the back of a U-Haul. We we got a house and uh, are currently transitioning into that. So that's uh, exciting, but uh, hectic, as you might imagine, between, you know, all the things I do in grad school and work and, and everything. So. But yeah, things processing. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know the processing. Uh, there's plenty of that to go around currently. So I've been organizing a um, an LGBTQ march that will be taking place here uh, on the 25th. Um, I, along with several other organizers, so it's not just me. But um, yeah, it's a, you know it's a beautiful time to be an activist. Um, I'm seeing a lot of young activists kind of cutting their teeth and and be born out of this whole debacle that our country's in right now. So so are you in the same like area? Are you still in St. Louis? I am. I actually I'm just about two minutes away from where I I so I our place was on the hill, which is like the Italian area of St. Louis. St. Louis is broken up into little like community like little um sections of the city. Um and so uh-huh. I, I moved from there to a place called Clifton Heights. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a little bit further west and, you know, I love St. Louis. I don't know that I could ever leave, uh, so much culture here. No, that's awesome, man. Again, congratulations to you guys. Yeah, well, <laughs> always counts for something. So, no, you know, we were talking a little bit about the protests and, you know, they had, uh, some sort of, a convention here for the Republicans, uh, this week in Philadelphia. And, of course, you know, Trump and his entourage has come down. And uh, it was interesting. I, I believe it was on it was on Thursday. And all the streets, every street corner had cops on horses. And, and like, cops were lined up and down the streets. And I was like, this is, like, insane. Like, I, I remember it being that big, but, like, when Obama came. But I just don't remember there being cops, like, everywhere. And it seemed, like, mm-hmm. overwhelming. But... 
you know, there was like a, the, the cops came into the, where I was working and they were telling me there's about like 5,000 people down there who were peacefully protesting, you know, and, and mm-hmm. marching from City Hall to Independence Hall and, and down Walnut where the convention was being held at the Lowe's, you know, and people, you know, were, were there making noise and, and, you know, protesting him and his administration. And I just applaud people who do that. And Aaron, you're one of those people who are on the front lines who make time to do that. And, you know, I just want to say thank you because I don't have the time because of my hours at work that to, to get out there and do that. So, you know, for people who can't get out there, I just want to say thank you because you're always out there. You know what I mean? And it makes a difference. Thanks. Yeah. It, you know, it, it just, it, you know, it just feels right. And, uh, like today they're having actions at all of the airports the last couple of days over, uh, Trump's executive order banning, um, immigrants specifically from Muslim nations. And, um, like this week, I've talked to transgender advocates. I've talked to queer uh, 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 people of color advocates, women. I mean, it's just uh, it's an amazing time where everyone's figuring out like we're truly stronger together. So yeah, it's uh, you know we all do our part. We always say that, and uh, you definitely do your part. So don't ever sell yourself. Yeah, I'm actually actually watching here on Facebook. CNN is streaming live. Uh, like thousands of people that are protesting Trump's travel ban here and not here, but in Boston. And it's crazy. You know, the, the loads of people that are coming out to say this isn't right. And I pretty sure I thought I saw something on Facebook today. I know you haven't been on social media because you've been moving and everything, but I thought I saw something come across my timeline. that said something about the ACLU took them to court and, and they, and they fought or something about they won the ban, uh, removing the ban or something i forget maybe it's fake news i hope not but i know i saw so I did, did you happen to see anything that you did okay yeah so i did see that so basically what that did is um the aclu um took that order to court um and on behalf of several individuals who already had their visas um uh, and were either inbound or and so yesterday as of the signing of the executive order customs um, would hold people, and they and sometimes would not even let them on the plane from their departing location to come here. And so this is a small victory because it's like the first time that Trump and his administration has been stopped. But, um, you know, it doesn't really, it, it only affects a very small number of individuals. There's 130 million people that are impacted by that executive order. And also um, people who have dual citizenship. Um, they're impacted by it. So if you're an American with uh, Iraqi descendancy or, you know, a, a residency in, in Syria or uh, Russia, or not Russia, um, those seven countries, then you're impacted just the same. So a lot of implications. Yeah, I saw, you know, our uh, state representative here, Brian Sims, uh, was posting stuff about um, you know, coming to the Philadelphia International Airport and take a stand with, uh, you know, the people there that, you know, are protesting. And I, and I just, you know, again, that's so far for me to go and do, but I am, I'm glad that people like him and, and you are on those front lines doing that because it's important. And those, there are strength in numbers. And I'm telling you, those, those fields of people, when you look out and it's just people everywhere, making noise it, it has to mean something somebody has to pay attention and you know i'm, I'm yeah. glad that we're slowly starting to hopefully they'll pay attention i think people are hungry for change i mean i run a, a facebook page um stf solidarity here 
And in just last week alone, we saw 260 people sign up. Um, we run email lists for people. And this week we announced the LGBT March, which is in February. We've already got 5,400 people interested and over 1,000 people have RSVP to attend. So I think, you know, people are just hungry for for resistance. And, you know, let's give the people what they want. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So let's go ahead and take over, uh, slide over to the scoop with Josh Robbins. We'll be right back. This is your HIV scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusive for Pause I Am Radio. Buzzworthy HIV news in under 90 seconds. Here's Josh Robbins in this week's HIV scoop. Well, hey, y'all. Another month bites the dust. Only 329 days until Christmas. It's never too early, guys, to start planning for my gifts. All right, this week, new research just published in the Journal of Urban Health found that those living with HIV were less depressed and more adherent to medicine when they received health food and snacks for six months. Oh, yes, they did. The joint study by UCSF and Project Open Hand evaluated whether medically appropriate comprehensive nutrition improved health. Well, surprise, it did. I wish we could have that as an option in the drive through I'll take a medically accurate appropriate number one with some comprehensive nutrition on the side anyways the researchers are stoked and it's published so i guess i'm happy too that's my baby and if you call the white house like i did wow uh yeah can i have the office of national aids policy please And then not get a return call. So it's safe to assume that the office might be collecting dust. Luckily, we're all reminded that those like ACT UP are more than experienced at keeping us all moving forward and pressuring the government to do something, as they bravely have done before. I may need to attend a training webinar on street protesting. And where can I find a bullhorn? I'm sure Aaron probably has one. I'm Josh Robbins. This was your HIV Scoop. <laughs> and I, I know for a fact Aaron has one of those. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, he knows, I've seen he it in action. Me too well. That's right. <laughs> he, he knows me all too well. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, now we've got a PA system, too. But, uh, you know, let our voice be heard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Trump stripped I, off the HIV AIDS strategy from the website. Most people may not recognize that which is why people have been calling now have they had any updates on why that has been done or just not a not a priority um you know along with everything else um you know spanish speaking um transcriptions of of everything on whitehouse.gov has been removed climate climate change has been removed Immigration has been removed. I think it's just, it's not a priority for this White House. Well, that is a shame, and hopefully that'll change. Um, you know, as more people like ACT UP get out there and, and make the noise, because they were actually, you know, there in Philly, too. That's actually what made me so upset that I actually had work um, on uh, Thursday during when Trump was visiting, because ACT UP was there, 
protesting. I would have loved to got down there and made some connections with those people and really, you know, gotten a little bit more involved. But by the time I got done work, it was, it was over. But um, definitely, you know, they should check out, look for local chapters of ACT UP in your area. I know there's one here in Philly. I'm sure there's one in New York. Um, is there one up there where you are in St. Louis? Um, there's been conversations about re like, reforming it. Um, there was, and um, then it kind of dissolved due to, you know, the improving HIV AIDS landscape, but definitely um, need to revive it. Cool. Well, that's definitely, you know, hopefully I think probably within this administration, this is going to happen. More of these chapters will be opening up to, you know, bring awareness to the, the important things that are affecting, you know, people living with HIV. It's important that ACT UP uh, is kind of reignited now. I think now's the time for it to happen. So I would love to be a part of that. So let's, uh, I want to try to look into that, see if I can get somebody from the Philly chapter here to come on and kind of talk about what's going on here. That'd be so great. Let's go ahead and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to get more involved if uh, I could change my work schedule a little bit to make that happen. Um, so let, let's go ahead and, and bring today's guest on. Uh, today we're going to speak with Diane Reeve. Uh, she was first on our show between seven and eight years ago, and she shared our story about um, her, her own personal story. It's um, uh, her own and, and a group of women, so it's, it's a group of women's story, and, and she was featured on 2020. She was featured on Oprah, and she was actually on uh, our show recently, uh, not recently, right after her uh, court case has ended, so I would like for her to come on, and let's welcome Diane to the show. How you doing, Diane? I'm great. How are you guys? Well, you are wonderful. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you just great. Okay, okay, great, great, great. Good enough. Well, I'm, I'm so to be back with you. I'm so excited to have you back. I was, you know, going through... Uh, the last interview we did with you a few years ago feels like forever, and I can't believe it's been that long. I would love to, you know, find out what you've been up to and, and things like that. I mean, your books come out. I'm I'm just so excited to see you grow into this amazing, you know, activist. Well, thank you very much, and it has been a process. And you know, I was thinking back to the interview myself um, as we discussed me coming on again, and I remember how raw I was at the time and I can go back and watch the watch the 2020 episode and the Oprah episode and I think who is that woman <laughs> because it's been <laughs> um been a journey it's been a journey and I really feel like that I've been able to grow and move and uh make an impact on other people's lives in fact I've got quite a few things in the works besides the book, but I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's start, you know, a little bit from the beginning. Let's talk about how you found out that um, you were HIV positive. We'll start from there for, for people who may not have actually heard the previous uh, interview. Sure. Well, it's interesting that the interview is today, too, because uh, my 10-year anniversary of my diagnosis was four days ago. So um, wow. rewinding a little before that, I had been involved with a guy uh, in a relationship, a long-term relationship that I thought was monogamous for about four and a half years and found out um, eventually that he was living with HIV and was not disclosing. He had known for some period of time. 
Um, and the way that I found out is really complicated, and you'll have to read the book to find out. I think I discussed it a little bit more last time, but, um, you know, I heard from another woman. I had talked to her previously who had been with, with him, and she had gotten tested, and then she notified. She talked to the health department, and the health department called me because she gave me my name. So I had been having all kinds of health problems. Nobody could figure out what it was. Imagine that, being a uh, straight white woman, that they wouldn't think of HIV. Ah, imagine. Um, so once I got diagnosed um, and we put together that he had known, then six of us came forward. Yeah, there were six women that came forward. There were a whole lot more that didn't. Um, and we prosecuted under the assault with a deadly weapon charge in Texas. There are no HIV criminalization laws in Texas, um, and I know that's a hot topic right now, so that may be something we want to discuss in a little bit, too. Um, but there were, we found 13 through through great stalking and, and um, you know, detective work and all the rest of that stuff. So once once we got an arrest warrant, then um, he was tried and convicted. No, thank you. I mean, I remember, you know, from the previous interview, you were with the guy for for a few years, and you know, um, when you found out it was something that was like not expected because you're, you know, you're not one of those people that you think is in that risk that risk group, that high risk group that would you know have to worry about that. So HIV wasn't something that you were concerned about prior to this, correct? Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book, too, is because I know now that it can happen to anybody, and there should be no judgment involved. Now, the other thing that I've learned um, that I think is really important to discuss is, you know, we have HIV all over the world. In Africa, it's particularly bad, and in Africa, HIV is a, a health issue. It's purely a health issue. And somehow in America, it has become not only a health issue, but more over a social issue. And that's a tragic thing in my mind. And I'd like to do some things to help alleviate that. Now, one of the things that, that is on my list is to talk about the language of stigma and how we stigmatize HIV and people living with HIV. So. No, that's awesome. This is Aaron. I, uh, you know, we've had that conversation. I know as providers, we have that conversation. Um, and I think it draws its roots from a time, you know, thinking particularly in the early days of the, of the crisis of that it was seen as a, you know, people are contracting HIV and AIDS as a result of their own behavior. Right. And so it's this, this society that we have of, well, it's kind of punitive. Sure. That, that, that's that's one of the differences that I see between here and, and African nations, African countries, that um, how we look at it. So yes, and it's it's a judgmental thing, and and I think not only is there external stigma and the judgment, it's the victim blaming, but that also precipitates a lot of internal stigma, and sometimes the internal stigma is more difficult to deal with. Uh, and I don't think it's quite as recognizable as the external stigma is. I'm also fascinated that you were uh, you were on with Oprah, and I'm always really 
I, I kind of like to look through things. I'm finishing my social work degree now, but my degrees and my undergraduate degrees in sociology and the role that people like Oprah um, and other, you know, talk show hosts played, um, Phil Donahue in particular, um, to really bringing people on on camera that were living with HIV. Uh, if you think about Brian White, that's how his message first really got distributed to a mainstream audience was through um, through these shows. And so can you talk about kind of that experience? Like that must have been very hard being on Oprah and sharing yourself. You said you were, you were very raw. That That must have been tough. And you're right, it was. And, you know, there was another dilemma that was involved with me personally because, you know, I I own a business. I still um, have my business in Texas. Um, I teach martial arts. And uh, in the court case, we were all given pseudonyms, fake names, as are a lot of women who have been sexually assaulted to protect our identity. And I used the pseudonym in court and then 2020 approached us and said, we'd like to do the show. And then I had a dilemma and I thought, you know, I have an opportunity here to help make people aware that it can happen to anybody and to take some of the stigma out of HIV, hopefully. And, but I struggled with it because I didn't know if I was going to, once I disclosed, if everybody was going to run away screaming from my school and I'd have to shut down. Um, and I chose very, very strongly to be open about my status. It was difficult because I'd only known that I was living with HIV for a little over two years when it aired. Um, and disclose on national television is no piece of cake, I can tell you. Um, but but I wanted to do that, and I felt strongly about it. And, and you know, I say in the book, courage is doing what's right, even though you might be afraid. And and I think the courage part comes in through the book and and um, you know after we were on 2020 of course I broke out on the phone and called us all it was a it, it was a huge I mean one of the things that was on my vision board at the house was a picture of Oprah I'd always wanted to meet Oprah um, not maybe under those circumstances but you know she was just phenomenal to have us all on and we really appreciated her helping us get the word out as well. Uh, this is Robert again. I know when you were diagnosed, Diane, your T cells were at 45. How is your uh, how are your T cells now? <laughs> oh, I'm way way into the normal range now. It did take me <laughs> a couple, it did take me a couple of years to get that way. Um, my doctor spent a long time trying to convince me that I wasn't going to die, <laughs> um, and I laugh <laughs> about it now. It wasn't funny at the time, believe me. When when you get an HIV diagnosis. Um, on the 25th of January, and your AIDS diagnosis on February the 14th, Valentine's Day, it's just no picnic. Um, and, uh, you know, in the book, again, I described how the insurance that I had just changed over to had excluded HIV from coverage. And, of course, when I signed it two months before I was diagnosed, that was the furthest thing from my mind. So not only did I have HIV, I had AIDS, and I had no insurance coverage. So there were a lot of things wow. going on at that time. Yeah. That's crazy. I remember uh, one of the things that you shared earlier um, in the previous interview was that you talked about being embarrassed, you know, to get an HIV test. Um, 
How is that something that you help uh, other women with now, since you are now open about it? How how do you uh, reach out to women now to not be embarrassed to get that test? Well, you know, when I when I tell my story, I think it's pretty obvious that it's so worth it to know one way or the other. If I had had the courage to get tested way before, even though the guy that I was with had been telling me, oh, you know, I don't have anything, I'm clean, which I absolutely hate that phrase now. Um, that, But if I had just taken that step, then I wouldn't have gotten to the point where I had 45 T cells. And so it's so important, it, it, it takes a minute and a half to do it. And I really emphasize that. And I've, I've been speaking um, in quite a few different locations. Um, I have another one coming up in New Jersey in March that um, I'll be telling people, you know, get tested. It's really very simple. And it, it the knowledge that whatever status that you are is so important. True. Robert, as you probably listen there, uh, you and I both know, and I'm sure um, many of the listeners, the Positive Women's Network, I've always really been amazed at the work um, that that women in our community are doing, have done, continue to do. Can you speak a little about, I mean, so me as a cisgendered white male, um, that looks different than, um, you know, an, an African-American living with HIV or a woman living with HIV. Can you speak a little bit to your truth? What what does life look like for you? Because you mentioned that you have a business, you, you have these other things, and it sounds like life has just went on. Um, but what's life look like for you in 2017, um, you know, living with HIV, um, Having had that AIDS diagnosis, it sounds like you, your health is improved. But what's life look like now for you? Well, that's a really interesting question because I I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it because I guess I'm busy living it. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are important to me about getting different messages across. Like I say. Um, the message about the language that we use around HIV is very important. And I've been doing what I can when I have media interviews about the book to remind them you can't catch AIDS. And we don't say HIV positive to, uh, we don't say positive about any other disease. You don't say diabetes positive or meningitis positive. And, And there's just all kinds of different ways that, that the language creates a category of others. And, you know, that's kind of what we're facing in this country right now with Trump's administration and that divisiveness in creating a category of others. And what what is important to me is that it doesn't matter if I'm a white woman or if somebody's a black woman or a, 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 a uh, black man or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. What matters is we should be unified and support each other. Um, another point in the book is that all the women had been seeing the same guy, but we didn't turn on each other. We banded together. So life for me looks like 
I'm being an advocate and I'm, I'm putting together, I do have a website called datestronger.com, which is about making safe and responsible and um, smart dating choices. The other thing that I saw recently, in fact, just today, I was reading Brooke Davidoff's um, blog on thebody.com. I don't know if you guys saw it or not. I'm sure you probably did, where she had the dilemma, the same dilemma that I did, that she found out her ex, you know, the woman that had, had been with her ex wasn't aware that she might be living with HIV and was she going to tell and, and this, that, and the other. So it was a very interesting article. And unfortunately, it happened a whole lot more. I think, than anybody really realizes. So getting the word out to that is fine. And, you know, of course, I'm still teaching martial arts. I'm a seventh-degree black belt, so I'm on the mat, you know, kicking tail and taking names. <laughs> <laughs> you live in Texas. That's, uh, you know, I think of, you know, I'm from Missouri, and so right now I'm coming to you from St. Louis, Missouri. And... Um, you know, I just know the stigma that exists here. And can you speak a little bit about, you know, what, you know, is there stigma in Texas living with HIV or, or, you know, has it gotten better? What's that look like for you, for anyone or, what? you know, an individual with HIV in Texas? You know, in, in Texas, it, it depends on where you are, I'm sure. Um, in the Dallas Plano area, I'm just north of Dallas um, in a, fairly large suburb <clears throat> and I was really heartened because when I did come out on national television I was supported categorically by all of my students and the parents and, and it felt really good to have that support um, as a matter of fact the the most poignant thing that happened to me in this whole shooting match if you want to get Texas about it um, I was sitting at school one morning and a dad walked in and he had his fatigues on and he walked around the desk in the front to shake my hand. He said, I just wanted to tell you, I just got back from Afghanistan. I heard what you did, and you're the brightest person I know. And it still makes me cry every time I hear that because it's, it's really great to be supported like that. On the other hand, in the South and other places, um, you know, it was recently on Oprah again for the Where Are They Now show, and that precipitated a flood of calls. I'm easy to find because I'm all over the Internet, et cetera. And a woman from Tuskegee, Alabama, called me, and, and she was just racked with pain. She had been to the police department because she, her, she had been knowingly uh, – she had knowing had been – the person that she was with had knowingly transmitted to her. And she said when she went to make the police report, they got out, the police got out cans of Lysol and sprayed in the air all around her. And it broke my heart that anybody wow. in 2016, 17 should have to go through something like that. I just, I, I was really flabbergasted. I was really caught flat-footed. That, that something like that could happen. But but 
for from my area, I've gotten really, really, you know, I did have one person that left when I disclosed that parents just didn't want to take a chance. And the other thing is, you know, the, the whole game changer about the studies that are out now with the undetectable viral load and undetectable equals untransmittable. And I'm trying to get traction with the media to get that out there because the media is not grabbing on to it. That's funny that you mentioned that, Diane, because actually, yeah, that's funny that you mentioned it because next week, actually, Bruce is going to be on the show, and he's going to come on, and he's going to talk about the U equals U campaign and and, and and how to get involved in that. And, yeah, so that's kind of funny that you brought that up, but that is, you know, a game changer when you think about it. Um, how are, are you – I know last time you were dating somebody when you were on the show. Are you still with that same person? No, I'm not. Um, you know uh- – uh, it was one of those things where yeah, it was a healing experience because he did accept me and I disclosed to him on the second date before there was any, you know, physical contact or anything. Um, and and because of that, it was a healing relationship, but it didn't work out in the long run. And um, so, I've moved on since then. No, that's good. No, so my question to you is now, because I know before you had a, uh, a little bit, you said you were, weren't really comfortable with uh, disclosing. How has that been for you now since, you know, years have passed and you've, uh, I'm assuming, been dating? How has your disclosure stories been? Well, you know, I have dated a couple of times, but not really frequently. And um, I usually, uh, the, the times that I have been out will disclose if I know that, if I think that the relationship might be continuing, you know, the first date you never know, but the second day, you, day right. you kind of get a feel. For it. And um, you know, I've I've had some guys be very kind and and oh, you know, it's okay, and never hear from them again. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and that's okay. I, I kind of I kind of look at it as a litmus test. You know, if yeah. if they're not if if they're not courageous enough to stand up for what's right, then they're not the guy for me anyway. And frankly, at this point in my life, I'm not so concerned with dating as I am with being an advocate and running my business and and um, trying to live life to the fullest. Uh, now, I don't need um, a partner in order to do that effectively. That's awesome. So congratulations to you on everything that you've been doing. Um, I just want to open the phone lines real quick. If anybody's interested in calling and uh, asking a question or have a comment for Diane, you can reach us at 929-477-3572. And if you're on hold and want to speak to us live, just press 1. So, you know, we talked a little bit about your website, datestronger.com, and we talked about your book that – was released in April of 2016, Standing Strong. Now, people can find that on Amazon, right? And then that's also available on your website, like we said, datestronger.com. Correct. And um, it's at, available at Barnes & Noble. It's called Standing Strong. It's the unlikely, the inspirational story of an unlikely sisterhood and the court case that made history. Uh, so it's got kind of a long title, but Standing Strong will get you there. I'm getting five-star reviews everywhere goodreads and amazon and i've been really really excited about the response to the book so i'm i'm really happy about that um you know the other thing though somebody if you guys want to speak to this because it's an interesting position to be in particularly with the decriminalization activism that's going on right now and i don't know if you guys want to get into that or have done that 
you know, have somebody coming up with, with that particular issue. But believe it or not, you know, I understand that some of the laws really are outdated and um, and they do need to be changed. So, you know, uh, that's, that's another issue that, that comes up pretty frequently with my case. I'll let Aaron yeah, speak we had. Yeah, last week we actually had Robert Settle, who, you know, friend of the show, um, yeah. who is one of the co-founders of the Serial Project. Um, and, you know, he spoke to kind of where we are. Um, you know, I, I think that it's – what I have found is that um, people who have been impacted the most – like, this is a very polarizing topic, right? So – um, you know, most people can say, well, you know, it needs change, but then like what exactly needs change? And there's just a visceral anger, right? So if, if someone's been impacted by uh, a person, you know, not telling and not disclosing, um, and I've just, I've been in forum after forum where, where um, people who were, you know, um, exposed to the virus and, and some became HIV positive and some didn't, do you ever find yourself kind of in a in a weird space um, being that your case did kind of set a precedent and that you did – is that a weird space for you sometimes? Yeah, it, it really kind of is, although I can, I can see a line of demarcation in a lot of ways, and that's kind of how I've, I've wrapped my brain around it in my head because – you know, there are so many laws that say, well, if you spit on somebody, it's a it's a class A misdemeanor, it's a, or a felony even, or if there's exposure without being without transmission, there are some laws about that, and there's kind of a gradient along the lines of decriminalization, and I guess anything anything that has anything to do with actual knowledge that you are living with the virus and no disclosure and a subsequent transmission, then, you know, I think there should be some accountability held. I don't know, you know, I can't say what accountability is, and those are all up to different states. And like I say, in, in, in Texas, we have no criminalization laws. They were taken off the books, I believe, in 96 here. Um, but but there are other laws, of course, that can be used to prosecute people, and maybe we just need to wipe them all out and have people actually prosecuted under uh, other laws if that's an appropriate thing to do. I know that it has impacted a lot of people on the other side, however, who have been unjustly uh, convicted and incarcerated, and that's that's terribly unfair as well. So I try to use a balanced approach to it, um, I, but I know it's really a heated topic. <laughs> what and refresh my memory in in your particular case, how many? Uh, I guess there's two parts. Like, so how many victims were there, and then ultimately how many went on to trial? And I think you said that earlier. Okay, I personally spoke with 13 women who disclosed that they had been with him and that were living with HIV. 
Um, I know because I had an outside source who was also involved in the case from another angle. And I understand that she found over 50 in multiple states. Um, out of all the ones that I located, some of them located me, um, there were six of us that actually filed charges. There were four more who came forward to testify punishments. So out of the 13 that I talked to, 10 were involved in the court case. Hmm. So that's pretty good enough. And so then that's what yeah. your your book, uh, and that, that is really interesting, right? So how you would find a positive support network out of that um, out of that group. And I, I can even speak to, I, I, I was part of a sexual abuse case involving a youth pastor. Um, and I, I do in some way understand like that special bond can form when, you know, because that's truly one of the only people that really know how you're feeling. Right. So the other women that were impacted. Absolutely. So I can, yeah, I can really appreciate that. I had never really thought about that until now. Um, but there's, when we're together, we don't even have to say things. We just know, uh, I, that's, that's a really refreshing um, view on that. And it's no wonder that people are really, um, you know, picking up on that. It's really fresh. Well, and, and, you know, I didn't really talk much about the support group, but almost immediately after I found the first, uh, other two women, we did form a support group and, Seriously, you know, I put it together, and we would meet at my house, and everybody says, oh, well, you know, you did such a great thing by doing that. Let me tell you something. I got more out of it by far and away than anybody else did because I don't think I would be where I am today had it not been for those other women who really got it. I mean, that's not a pun. Okay. Uh, now, Diane, are, are are you still in contact with Susan or any of those women today? I absolutely am. In fact, Susan is working with me on another program that I'm trying to put together about uh, putting together a forum for women to be able to tell their stories. When I've talked to intake coordinators, you know, intake coordinators that, that work with people who have just been diagnosed and they get all your information, they get name, rank, and serial number, and then they say, you know, how do you think you acquired HIV, et cetera, et cetera. My sources who have been in those positions tell me that 85 to 95% of the women that they talk to have been, uh, have acquired HIV from a long-term relationship. So it, it, it's an incredibly common. And what we want to do is provide a forum for women to share their stories because this is a very isolating disease, as you know. And if and the healing part is, like you say, with your group, and I'm I'm very sorry uh that you had to go through that. Um that you know, by by bonding with other people who who understand who have had similar circumstances, it is very healing and less isolating. And we all need that. We all need to form together, just like we need to form together to protest against, you know, who. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Diane, can you stay with us for a little bit longer? We're just going to take a quick break and play one of our um, Rise Up to HIV Positive Messages. Can you hang Absolutely. on while we do that? Sure. Yes, and if you want, if you want to think, if you want to think about a positive message that you want to give a newly diagnosed person, you can give that when we come back. Okay. Sure. That'll be great. Thanks. Hello, everyone. My name is Alicia. Some call me Lovely or Healed Lee. In 2001, I was diagnosed HIV positive, and you know I had an option: allow that diagnosis to overtake my life, or I overtake HIV. And that is exactly what I did. I took a stand. I took a stand to know that I am healed, that I am prosperous, that I am a beautiful and loving person, and I deserve to be loved. HIV does not define me. I define HIV. I'm happy, I'm inspirational, and I am vibrant. I love myself. And I encourage you that if you received any diagnosis, if you received any terrible news, take a stand, know who you are, and continue on your path to greatness. I encourage you to stay happy. Hey, everybody. My name is Brady Morris. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I, when I was diagnosed as being HIV positive in 2009, I turned right around and tried to commit suicide twice because I thought my life was over. I wanted to just hide from life. I didn't want to do anything. Um, and it took one person coming to me and saying, Brady, I know that you were just recently diagnosed as HIV positive. I was just recently diagnosed. Can you help me? Can you show me and tell me what I need to do next? And that was my light bulb moment. I was like, I do have a purpose. I can help. Um, and that's turned my life around. I have completely given my life over to service, to volunteer. And as a matter of fact, that diagnosis led me on a journey, and now I'm even in Africa doing volunteering, working with children who have been orphaned due to HIV, and working with a local women's group, um, an HIV-positive-only women's group, um, which has been so, so fulfilling. So just because you have been diagnosed with HIV, it does not mean your life is over. There is so much more to keep living for. Stay strong. Love you guys. Say hi, everybody. Hi. This is what life is about. Oh, God, I love listening to that message every time that we play it. <laughs> Diane, you there with us? I am. That was awesome. That made me happy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just hearing them all cheer in the background kind of puts a smile on your face. So so then we pose the question to you, what would be your positive message for somebody who is newly diagnosed? Well, you know, I have I have to echo what the other two said, but first of all, I think the most important thing is for someone who's newly diagnosed to find a support somewhere. Someone who really understands, someone who's also living with HIV, somebody who's been there. Um and and your provider should be able to refer you somebody or somewhere that you can get into a group or have a person that will help you in the initial stages. Um, moving forward, though, I have a quote. Um, your life will expand or contract based on one thing, 
and that courage. So expand your life. Don't contract it. Expand your life by having the courage to live, to be, and to continue, and to keep standing strong. Mm. Well, that's that is awesome. awesome. Thank you. I, um, I heard a lot about uh, a lot of similarities in um, that last message of service, because that's really what it sounds like when when I listen to you know, you're, you're really living a life of service and that came out of your diagnosis and the situation that you're in. It did. It did. And, and, you know, like I, like I always say, I, you know, my mission is to help other people, but I get much more out of it than I, than they do. I know that that's for a fact because it just, it makes you feel so good when you know that there's another human being that has a little bit better life because of what you've done or what you've said or or something that you've contributed in some way. Well, you know, I'm always amazed and, and just really um, motivated whenever we have guests on. Uh, if people are listening to this, uh, maybe they're listening to the podcast that they can find on iTunes, but they they want to find out more about you, or maybe they want to reach out to you. Um, how would they go about that? The best way is to go to Date Stronger. My um, email address is on there, datestronger.com, um, and I probably even has my phone number on it because I'm pretty open about talking with people. Like I say, I get calls from all over, everywhere, and I really value that time with people to to spend and listen to what they have to say because I grow from it every time as well. So um, send me an email, um, give me a call, whatever. I'm around, I'm available, and I'd love to talk to you. I am also on Facebook. Um, there's a Standing Strong page. There's a Diane Reeve page. So you can get through uh, to me through that as well any any final thoughts from you you know I, it's just been a real pleasure just to talk with you guys again you guys are phenomenal you're doing a great thing um people are lucky that you guys are around and <clears throat> excuse me doing what you're doing because the things that you do will always make an impact on people um and you guys got the hard part because you probably don't hear as much about how you've impacted people as when you're talking to somebody one-on-one. But keep doing what you're doing, guys, because you guys are great. And and I really, really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be on and and uh, to hear your voices and, and talk about the things that are important uh, in the HIV world and in the world in general. Well, oh, we Diane, thank you. have had a blast. Yeah, had a blast having you on, and uh, uh, continued success with the uh, the book and the other projects that you're working on. Um, and we'll have to have you back on again to talk about those projects again. Thanks for being I on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Y'all guys have a great day. Thanks, Diane. You too. And remember her website, datestronger.com, and you can purchase her book on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles, Standing Strong. 
Um, again, Diane Reed, thank you. She's incredible, and her story is just so, I don't know, so real and so, like, anybody who's listening, could, could this could happen to. So, you know, she's just, she's inspirational, and I, I love that she is still um, out there doing things, even after, you know, because a lot of people could have just rolled over and did nothing after the court case, and she's still out there bringing awareness to the cause, and that's what's important. So I have an announcement that I didn't get to talk about earlier. I totally forgot because I was so involved in uh, Diane coming on, and I wanted to really talk with her. But um, today or this morning, I, I, I launched the new Pazayim Community Board. It's a place where you can uh, become a member, and there is a community board where you can share your story, ask questions if you're newly diagnosed, um, post information on campaigns or events that you have coming up, or conferences, if you want people to join a social media campaign, go there and post it so people can find out. Again, it's in its baby stage. Today's only day one. There's like three members. Um, it will be growing as time goes on. I'm doing baby steps, so bear with me. But go check it out. Go to PauseTimeRadio.com. It's all there. And, um, you know, join it and introduce yourself. That's what's going to make this work. That's what's going to, you know, uh, you know, uh, empower others is hearing other people's stories. So, Aaron, I better see your message up there <laughs> in a couple of days after you're done moving. <laughs> I know, yeah. I, uh, you know, and I, I, I wanted, you know, I want the listeners to think about, you know, at the start of the hour, you know, you thank me for, for being out in the streets and doing this is, this is the work that you do, right? And so, um, that's the heavy lifting. This is, you know, your vision, um, and creating that safe space for individuals. Um, you really listen to what people said and, and, and that they were saying that they kind of missed the pause I am community. And so um, kudos to you for, for putting this together. And um, you're always cutting edge when it comes to this type of stuff. Oh, well, thank you. I try. <laughs> so with that being said, um, you can find more information on us and upcoming shows. Again, um, our friend Bruce will be on uh, next week speaking about uh, the U, e U equals U, which is uh, undetectable equals untransmittable. So uh, tune into that. It's going to be one you don't want to miss. Um, and again, more information, positiveradio.com. Uh, go check it out. Join the community. Aaron, you can be found everywhere by looking at Aaron Matthew Laxton. That's right. Aaron, Aaron Laxton across all social media for, formats. And uh, yeah, so we... Uh, Hit me up. Let me know what you're, what's going on in your neck of the woods. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you can find our guests everywhere, Diana Reed, if you just search her, or go to our webpage. You can find information for her Twitter and all that there. Um, I just want to thank everybody for hanging out with us for this hour, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Aaron, it's been a pleasure again. All right, back to the U-Haul. Thank you for joining <laughs> us for Paz. I am... You can listen to us each and every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we bring you your weekly dose of hope. Join in the conversation on social media, Pause I Am Radio, and at Aaron Laxton. And while you're on there, check out I'm Still Josh as he brings the HIV scoop of the week. Also, if you've not checked out the positive message campaign from Rise Up to HIV, be sure to do so. For all of you who contribute and make this show possible, thank you so very much. 
If you think you have a story that needs to be covered or you would like to come on air and talk to Robert and myself, please let us know. We want to bring content that you need and that you want. Be sure to download this episode on iTunes and past episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. From all of us over here at Paz IM Radio, from Robert Brining and myself, have a safe and healthy week. And until we speak again, stay positive.